All right, folks, welcome to Passing Period and All of the Above Podcast Extra. My name is Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher. And together with my co-host, Jeff, we drop full episodes of All of the Above every two weeks. However, we're giving you two passing periods in a row this month, mostly as a result of the fact that February holiday weekends and travel interrupted our regular filming routine. We normally film our show on weekends, and last weekend I was at the new Teacher Center Conference in Atlanta, co-presenting with Ed Trust West. Shout out to Ed Trust West. So our schedule's been a little off, but don't fret, we're back in the TV studio this weekend to film our next full episode, which will take a look at Teacher PD and also cover recent news and headlines in education like we normally do. But for today's passing period, we're bringing you a one-on-one interview with Aaron Whalen. Aaron was one of the dope guests that we had on our most recent full episode about supporting our LGBTQ plus youth. And he sat down with Jeff to discuss co-founding his own school and working to support the most marginalized students in our school system. Now this one-on-one interview is actually a YouTube all of the above extra. We have dozens of one-on-one interviews on our YouTube channel that we filmed with our guests over the years. We also have videos that I've created in my classroom that I call Rustin's Room, which explore some of my own teaching practices. So if you haven't already, head over to our YouTube channel and subscribe to that. That's youtube.com slash all of the above. All right, so we'll be back in a week with our next full episode. But for now, please enjoy Jeff's one-on-one interview with Aaron Whalen. All right, folks, welcome to our episode extras for today. I am thrilled to have with me uh, one of our guests uh, from episode 10, Aaron Whalen, um, who uh, was good enough to stick around with us for a little bit and chat a bit more about his uh, exciting uh, career trajectory and uh, work serving the students here uh, in Los Angeles. So welcome, Aaron. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, so I want to start off with uh, something that, you know, anyone who watched uh, our episode with you and then maybe Googled you uh, will probably come across an LA Times article with your your face all over it. And uh, at the at the ripe old age of 26, um, you were uh, were featured in the LA Times along uh, with your co-founder of Rise, uh, Carrie Croft. So shout out to Carrie. because you had uh, just recently won um, the XQ Super School competition uh, to get startup funding uh, to, to kind of launch and create Rise, right? Um, so give our audience a little bit of a sense of, uh, of you know, what that process was like um, and kind of what it means to be an XQ Super School. Absolutely. Yeah, it was an incredible experience and it, it really fast-tracked us into becoming school leaders and becoming cognizant of politics and the world around us. But I would say, I mean, first and foremost, Carrie absolutely founded the school. Um, She wrote the petition and began drafting while she was in at Harvard. Um, And so then during that time, we were having conversation about the youth that were not being served well. And so I jumped on right when she came back to LA and started working with the Da Vinci schools. And so through that, we started to get groups of people together, most importantly, students who were in the foster care system or who had experienced housing instability. Um, along with attorneys. We worked with Children's Law Center. Um, So every student with an open case goes there at least once a week for court or once a month for court. Um, We worked with uh, School on Wheels. So we had incredible partnerships uh, that helped us really rethink 
how education could best meet the needs of youth who are um, homeless foster. And then later on, we realized that probation was a part of that cycle. Um, we did not originally have that as uh, the population that we were actually intending to serve. But what we did know within the first few weeks of serving students is that if we could really kind of create a school that was was positive and affirming and rigorous and uh, powerful for youth in foster care or who are experiencing homelessness, it would be a great school for any kid. And so I think having that be the, the bar and understanding that allowed us to move forward. Um, I would say, yeah, being young and, and being jumping into that um, experience was incredible, but we really had to figure out how to meet the right people, how to introduce ourselves to people who are doing this work long before us, right? Who are these two young people starting a school um, that not only touches education as an industry or as a kind of faction of the work, but also touches the foster care system, social, you know, all of those different systems. And so we really had to get ahead of it and try our best to meet and learn from all of the people who have been in that work for so long. And so I think that was one of the most intense pieces is, okay, so now you have to start a school, continue to enroll kids, adjust to the kids that are coming into the building and create a positive culture while also thinking about um, creating strong relationships with people who are doing the work in the industry uh, and continue to get sleep at night. And so I think that that was <laughs> that a, last part <laughs> being maybe the most difficult. Yeah, the, the one that we probably mentioned. failed yeah. at the most. Um, it was I mean, it's it has been incredible work and continues to be. But we're still juggling all of those things at once because it's important. I think being young in this work, we had to take a learner stance. We could not come into this as people who had a, an idea fueled by youth and just say that, like, we are the only ones who have this idea. We're the only ones who can do this. We had to come into it, excuse me, with um, the understanding that there are people who are doing this already. Um, and I think what we had to offer was how do we unsilo these really incredible uh, organizations and people so that youth can experience them all within one powerful way versus having to travel and move from one place to the other to um, talk to their social worker, to meet with their attorney, to then go to school. And so then they're being punished by all these systems for having to run a around them. Mm -hmm. uh, and so RISE hopes to create one safe haven where all of these systems are in place, where the social worker can come to the school, the attorney can come to the school, the, you know, the teacher is already there. And so that youth can get one uh, experience and be able to be students. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, people might hear that and not, maybe not fully, uh, comprehend what you're, what you're actually describing. And so maybe you can share a little more about like what that actually looks like. Right. Um, you know, people, uh, Rise is a relatively small school. You have a uh, hundred or so at students each site. Um, mm -hmm. at each site. Um, so two, about 200 total um, and two different sites currently, although may, may be expanding. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, maybe describing a little bit about like the, the, the MHT, the mental health team at the yep. school. Um, Cause it's, it's just different than a yeah. like typical uh, public school. And like when you count up the adults on campus and how many of them are teachers versus how many of them are people right. who do more sort of case management. And I don't know if that's the right language to use, but mm -hmm. who help kids with the other stuff in life and your yeah. students are all dealing with lots of other stuff in life. Maybe tell us a little bit more about like really what that looks like and 
how that maybe makes Rise special and different. Absolutely. I mean, I guess to start with staffing, since that, that's kind of where the conversation led, is we have a mental health team, which is an outstanding group of professionals uh, who we, from a social worker, counselor, psychologist, who are all there to support our kids. We have amazing behavior interventionists who support our students with um, anything from anger management to um, coping skills to um, learning how to collaborate and work in a collaborative environment when a lot of our students are coming from um, probation settings, from juvenile justice settings, and so what does it mean to create strong, healthy relationships? And so we need we realized very, very quickly that we actually needed an entire staff to support students with the things that were taken away from them, given the system of um, moving from place to place, given the system of trauma that they've been a part of. And so I would say staffing is the, the most important piece of the puzzle. I think often uh, we don't think about the what's under the soil what is the what are the emotions what is the trauma that are leading to the actions we just think of actions and often as in education that is where we can reach is the actions right so let's punish this for the suspension let's punish this with an expulsion but we're not realizing the way that the system has actually created these actions and these um, experiences reading from trauma and so that's the first piece we also realize that foster youth on average are switching schools you know at least once a year um, and it's happening all the time. And so when that happens, they're often losing months and months and months of instruction. And then they're often getting punished for being behind in school. Yeah. And so how are these systems having blind spots or just things that we're not paying attention to or intentionally ignoring um, that are hurting our youth? And so we have flexible scheduling to ensure that our students don't need to um, disenroll when they have a sense of court dates or different things that are going on. And they can continue to do that. We have a lot of uh, pregnant and parenting teens. So flexible scheduling allows them to have a job often on our campus through internships but also off-site um, if needed so that we can say like we can prioritize your needs you do not need to disenroll because you're in survival mode right now we're actually gonna pull you and we can help you with that and so another part of the model is co-locating with organizations that have done the work longer than us um, and who have instilled roots in the community and so that allows us to kind of fast-track trust and serve the kids that we are seeking to to serve um, so currently we're co-located with a place called Home in South Central, which has been around for upwards of 27, maybe 20, maybe 28 years now um, in South Central community, uh, just doing incredible after school programming for youth, but their services um, are after school. So it was a perfect partnership because we could provide those services, uh, education during the day, while also partnering with this amazing organization to provide services to the kids. And so, um, Different partnerships like that really help us to strengthen the program. And I would say lastly, the reason why we have small learning centers across um, Los Angeles is one, because we realize that with, highly, with youth who have experienced high levels of trauma, having a small close-knit community can be incredibly powerful for getting them quickly into the learning process. Um, whereas if there's thousands of kids on a site, um, and that student has been through incredible amounts of trauma, it can be almost like starting fresh every classroom they're going into every time they walk into the hall because they're meeting new new people and seeing new mm. um, faces. And it, it kind of sets off those um, old triggers of like, oh my gosh, I'm in a new place. I don't have trust there versus our, us, our small group of 100 people in one site. Not everyone's on the site at the same time, but they have individual schedules. So it's often it's like 60 people on the site at once. Um, student knows every single face, has been able to be in, be in advisory in community circles with those people. Um, so that's incredible. But then also having those small centers means that if a student were to move, let's say from Hawthorne to South Central, there's sites located there. They don't have to restart their education. Um, some of our staff travel back and forth, so they have familiar faces. And so it's a way to really create a net um, amongst within the system that still allows us to catch the students and not have them restart fresh from um, like they have been doing when they're moving schools and other 
situations. Yeah. I'm wondering if you can tell us, Aaron, about your, um, like your motivations for doing the work that you do. And uh, to the extent that, that, that this is interrelated, how your identity um, intersects with your work as an educator and, and the work you feel committed to. Absolutely. Oh, that's a lot of, there's a lot of different questions in there. Um, yeah. I would say <laughs> 30 seconds or less. <laughs> yeah. Go. I would say, um, I mean, first and foremost, as an educator, when I first started out, I uh, met a student who was LGBTQ. He um, was, um, was basically mute, came into my classroom. Um, but I was running a dance group and he joined the dance group. And then I just got to see an incredible human being kind of un cocoon, <laughs> de-cocoon, um, and just show who he was. And I think that inspired me to see that. The more I, more I learned about him, the more I realized he had experienced housing instability. Um, he had been through moving and disability. He had gone through huge amounts of trauma, um, but the school ultimately was not fit to support those things. And so as an educator, it became my goal to consistently think about how can my classroom be a space that can help support and um, as much as I could, right? I'm not, I'm not necessarily a, a counselor or, or anyone, anything of that sort, but how could I create a space where um, this youth could continue to grow and expand and learn? Now, um, after that, I adopted him. And so he became a part of my family. He, my, my family um, is his family. And so that was a huge process for me to say, okay, now there are thousands and thousands and thousands of youth just like that. Uh, who are not getting the services that they need. What would it have meant for him to have a counselor? What would it have meant for him to have a social worker? What would it have meant for him to have a team of, um, a mental health team on his side while he was going through some of that turmoil, some of that trauma, some of that abuse? Um, and so I think that is consistently playing in the back of my head because I'm seeing kids go through similar things and then I'm seeing Rise support them through it. And so I'm, it, it was really, how do we create that space? I would also say growing up, I had an incredible educational experience. I went to some amazing schools in Los Angeles. And so my parents were very passionate because they felt like they didn't have that experience um, to put all of their time and money into sending me to incredible schools. So I was an incredibly privileged and fortunate. I also had family members who lived less than 10 miles away who had the polar opposite experience, um, who I also thought uh, were always brilliant and, and outstanding. And so to see where those educational systems and how that took them into different directions than me, um, well, they should be sitting here having this conversation. I am because of education. And so I think that is also a huge driving force because I think if that was the reality for people in my family and they were not in foster, the foster care system, they were not um, on probation, actually. Uh, they were not on probation. And so I think about, wow, what does that mean for the youth that are? And what does that mean for the way that the system is failing them? Um, and so I think they're just ties, con continuous ties throughout my life to populations of folks who have been ultimately written out of the larger educational narrative is the reason why I do this work and why I think it's important. Yeah. So um, I think we have time for one more question. And uh, I'd like to kind of build upon uh, the conversation we had on our episode with you, uh, but kind of frame it, in, you know, through the lens of your school and wondering, you know, why in your mind does a school like Rise need to exist? I, wow, that's a huge question. I think I know that schools are often not equipped to, again, deal with what's happening beneath the soil. And so at RISE, we call it the RISE Rose. We believe that beneath the soil, if, if, if the rose is a student, that beneath the soil is the holistic pieces that often are written out, right? So don't bring your trauma to school. Don't bring, just because you, you might've got mugged on the way, 
when you get here, I don't want you to be upset. I don't want you to be angry. I don't want you to manifest those feelings. Um, I actually need you to be as calm as you can in that class of 30. And so I think at RISE, we really focus, and we have the ability to focus on that too, because the mental health team trains our teachers, and our teachers train our mental health team. And so now there is no silo worlds of, this is what educational standards and what I'm expecting you to reach, and here's what social-emotional skill sets I'm expecting you to reach. Actually, we realize how intertwined they are because our staff is intertwined, and they understand each other, and they communicate. And so the, so the soil being that holistic piece, the grass being the behavioral, the manifestations of that soil, right? If the soil is dry, then the grass is going to look a certain way. If the soil is rich, the grass is going to look a certain way. But without that soil, the grass isn't there. And so I think often in education, we're taught to behavior ma manage, right? What is behavior manage? Behavior is a secondary piece. So we're just managing the top. We're not actually getting to the soil, to the pieces that started it. Um, and often that's where we are told that that's where your job ends. Um, you don't, you can't control what happens at home, right? That's like something you're told often as a teacher. But what can you control in terms of checking in on your students and where they are? Mm -hmm. And what kind of grace can you provide a kid who's been through a lot? And what if they could tell you what they've been through? Um, what if they could tell a peer what they've been through? And what kind of space can you create in your classroom? And then from that grass, right, and that soil is where the, where the actual flower grows. But we know that until those two things are healthy, there's no flower, right? There could be a seed, but the flower is not going to start growing until those things are healthy and taken care of. Um, and then the sun being their ultimate goal, right? And so, like, what is that process and how do we start there? And so I think if, if RISE can at least share that mentality with educators across the nation, and we know that that exists in other places. We don't think we created it, per se, but really make it something that is normative, Right. We're, we know that youth have experiences that that lead to their actions, that then lead to their ability to learn, that then lead to their ability to reach their goal. We don't we go in the reverse of that. And so I think that is the huge piece with beyond the model, beyond the staffing. That's what we hope to share with the world is how do we see the youth as their full full person and allow them to bring their whole identity into the room so that we can work with it and support them and empower them accordingly. Wow. Uh I love the I love the farming metaphors about our profession. No, in, in all seriousness, yeah, right? Because I think it really speaks to the core of our work as educators being about like helping to bring forth life, mm -hmm. right? Um, and you know, not in the birthing sense, right? But in the in the sense of like that, you know, who you are when you're five and who you are when you're eighteen or twenty one when you leave the system is the difference between a seed and a rose, mm -hmm. right? Uh, if we do our job well. Right. And so, um, so I, you know, that certainly, certainly resonates with me. And, uh, Aaron, I want to thank you again for, for sticking around for thank this, you. uh, this, this episode extra with us. Uh, you know, I think the work that you and Carrie and the team at rise are doing is, is critically important work in our, in our field and in our city. And uh, just just appreciate you uh, coming on and sharing a bit of that with us today. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, folks, thanks for joining us on this episode extra. Uh, as always, you can find all of our content at aotashow.com. Please uh, like this post. Please share it with folks you know who might find it interesting or might want to learn a little bit more about uh, these kinds of topics. Um, and uh, every little bit you do helps us uh, get the word out. So thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.